0: Well, it's good to be with you uh, this morning, church. Like I said, I've, I've got my wife back in town. That's awesome, right? And that's good, good stuff. And we're, I'm excited about that. Um, it's good to be with you uh, today. I, we we kind of worried um, th- this week uh, on our day off. Jack decided that that was the day that he was going to get sick. Right? He woke up and like snot was coming out of everything. You know, like you know one of those one of those days and. Um it's it's interesting being a dad and, 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 and caring and, and trying to do those things. Steph was off at an appointment and I didn't even tell her because I knew she was gonna worry and there's no need to worry, right? Like just he's all right. And and so we um we we got Jojo to school and, and bundled up and and then we we sat down in the in the living room and I just held them and then that that like kind of day off itch, like that to do list, got in my head, right? And I thought, I'm gonna like do the to-do list anyways, right? Like I'm just gonna get it done, and I'm gonna bring some stuff in the living room, and I'm gonna put a movie on for Jack, and he's just gonna chill in the corner of the couch, wedged in there with his drink and whatever, and it's just gonna be cool. We're just gonna make it happen, right? Yeah, absolutely wrong, right? Uh, I should know this. Like, I, this is not my first rodeo. I should know this. I've been doing this for a couple years now, and and so I I get it all I get it all ready, and I and I bring the stuff that I need to do in the living room, and I put him in his thing, and I start the movie, and I'm working my thing for about two minutes, and, and then I hear Jack's phrase that he uses often now is, Dad, uh, Dad, I need you, right? Dad, Dad, I want you. And it doesn't matter. You could be like holding him, he could be in your shirt like a koala, and he's still going to say the same thing, right? I want you. I'm like, I'm right here, dude. I'm here, right? I can't, <laughs> you can't crawl in my skin. But, but that started, and I, so my first reaction is, like, you're okay, buddy. I know you don't feel good. Just watch your show. And his first reaction is, it's not a show, it's a movie, right? (laughs) And I need you, right? I need you. And so I put the stuff down and, and I went and I grabbed him and I snuggled with him. But that, that, that idea that I thought I was going to get some stuff done, but what I really needed to do is just be present. That my son needed me in this snot-infused state that he was in. Uh, and, and there was no substitution. I could have had the Paw Patrol life-size characters in my living room and surrounded him in song and dance And he still would have needed me, right? I could have done uh, anything. We could have brought in a unicorn from a far off land and brought it right next to him. It wouldn't have mattered. He needed, he needed me. And so as we start today, as we talk about what it means to live into the, the daily grind, that rhythm of, of living life, but living what life with Jesus uh, and finding new ways to, to, to hope and, and new ways to live, I want us to keep that image in our minds, maybe not the snot part, but maybe the, the child part. And this need um, for for the parent, this need for the father, this need that that nothing else can fill. It's it's a it's a place that, that that only I could fill in that moment. Keep that in our minds this morning. So last week, reminder of of what we talked about. We looked at First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. We've been following um, the Apostle Paul, and and we talked about this daily grind, and he, we looked at his life as if he could. Uh, Help us and show us what it means to, to do hard things and to do normal things and to do all things um, for Jesus. And we learn through this um, that, that Paul works, but not only does he work, but he has this grace-fueled passion for life. Like he, he shows us what it means to do all things for the, for the glory of Christ. This God-empowered passion and direction to live out his calling in the everyday grind. He shows us what it looks like to do every single thing. That when things get tough and the daily grind gets tough and everything go, goes cattywampus, right? He's not wishing his current situation away. We talked about how he sits in that, he's present in that, and he's not only present in that, but he continues to work for the Lord in the midst of difficult things. He lives for Jesus right where he is. He doesn't check out and say, oh, when this is over, then I can finally fulfill my calling. No, he doesn't say that. How many of you have said that maybe in life? I know I have. Oh, when this gets done, then I can finally do that. He's not one that is always looking for the next best thing, but he's one that's looking for ways to serve Jesus where he is, no matter if he's on in prison or he's just been shipwrecked. Whatever it is, Paul's one that shows us that what it means to trust in the grace of God. And God does a beautiful work in him as God sustains him and invites him and carries him through some pretty hard places, all while Paul leans in to his Savior and submits again and again and again. So I left us last week with a hard question, a question that um, I've probably been grumpy about all week. Keep asking my wife, but a question that, that's difficult. I ask you this, what am I wishing away right now that God wants me to lean into? Like, what are some ways that I'm I'm wishing away this circumstance, or it's hard, or whatever it is, or it's difficult, or I just don't like it. What are some things that I'm wishing away that God wants me to lean into because God's got something to teach me, maybe in that, or 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 God's got uh, some uh, plan that's 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 laid out that I just can't see. Well, what are some ways that that God wants to shape me and empower me to walk through them rather than to run from them, right? A difficult question, but we see that Paul is one that leans into questions like. This. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to open up um, uh, Philippians this morning. Uh, chapter 4, uh, a letter um, written by Paul. We're going to find Paul in the daily grind of life, but he's not out on the street. He's not doing things that he, that he loves and he knows about, but he's uh, in prison. Philippians chapter 4, um, starting in, in verse uh, 10 this morning, we find Paul in the middle uh, of prison. Uh, he's in this place where he doesn't know if he's going to be let go or he doesn't know if he's going to be killed or he just doesn't know what's going to happen but he's in the middle uh, of prison and he's writing this church in Philippi um, uh, number one because he loves them right he's helped them he's discipled them he loves them but number two he's a good boy his mom maybe taught him uh, some good things that when he receives a gift he's supposed to send a thank you card right like I'm still working on that pray for me Uh, That that he he, he, he's received this financial gift from this church to support his ministry. And so now he's writing um, back to them to thank them um, for caring for him. And that's where we, we pick up uh, today uh, in Philippians chapter 4, where, where Paul is thanking them uh, for their generosity, he receives that gift. And we're going to find out some amazing thanks from this uh, little snippet uh, of the thank you card section. Uh, so church, hear the word of the Lord this morning from Philippians Uh, Chapter 4, starting in verse 10, it says this. I, Paul, rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know that it is best er, that I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The word of the Lord this morning, thanks be to God. We're here and, and reading this, um, it, it sounds awesome, right? Right? like thinking about this idea of, of Paul writing to, to his friends who have just given him some, um, some financial assistance, and he's writing to them, and he's talking about this contentment that, that he has. And, and right off the bat, I read this, and I say, I want that contentment. Are you in that place, right? Like, we want to be content. We want to know what it is to live in any and all situations and, and be content because we all have these seasons in life where we can say that our life circumstances or the things that we're dealing with or, or lack of finances or whatever it is, that we don't like them and they're not good, right? We've been in a place where we could say, like, this job is awful or, or, or my relationships are awful and everyone's fighting or I, go, I have to go to work with Sally so-and-so and she's just weird and it makes a day long or, or I'm alone or I'm facing great loss. Uh, we, we all have these circumstances that we find in this grind of life that that aren't ideal, and we don't like very much. Have you ever been through this phase of life you didn't like very much? right? We're we're in this place, but yet here's Paul talking about uh, contentment. This this place that, that he's in, he's in prison, and yet he's still talking about contentment. And I don't know about you, but I want some of that. And so as I've studied this passage through the week, and as I've struggled with this idea, I ask, you know, Paul, how do I get this? Or Jesus, how do I get this? And how do we lean into this? For he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. And we ask the question, how in the world did you do that? Right? Like, like, how, 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 have you done that? I've, I've lived 30. My birthday was soon. 35 years. Is that right? 35 years. I, mean, I still haven't, have fully grasped that concept, right? Like, or you've lived 50 years or 60 years or whatever. How do you get to to this place of life where where you you can you're content in whatever the circumstance? There, there might be some circumstances that you put me in that I'm not going to be content. So what's it look like to, to have what Paul is talking about? But not only that, if we, if we read this and we read the whole chapter in context, he shows us here that it's not just about getting through life. Like some of us are tough. Like we grew up in some rough situations and we're pretty resilient. Like we can get through some stuff right like we're gonna we're gonna push through we're gonna make it happen we're gonna we're, we're gonna keep going but Paul's not talking about pushing through and, and, and keeping going he's not just surviving in prison but when you read the letter you realize that old dude is joyful like he's he's straight up giddy in fact he mentions joy more times than in, in this letter than he does in any other letter and he's in jail like how's that possible like it's not just about getting through, but he is—he is thriving in this place. He's flourishing beyond his life circumstance, and I want some of that. He's flourishing beyond the stuff that's surrounding him. So how do we get there? Contentment, because the last time I checked, there's some of us in, our, in this room that are not even in prison. Right? We're not even in prison. The back door is unlocked. Unlike my granny's church in Virginia, where they lock the back door and you ain't leaving, right? This back door is unlocked. Right? You're not in prison, right? You're not locked up in here. Even though we're not in prison, there are times in my life where I feel like I'm not content. In fact, contentment is, is incredibly difficult to find in our culture today. If we just look around and think for a second, we're just not a content people. When we're in one season, we want to be in the other season, right? When it's cold outside, we want it to be hot. And when it's hot outside, we want it to be cold. Or, oh, I can't wait until Christmas break. And then Christmas break gets here and the family comes. And then you say, oh, I can't wait till the family goes home, right? <laughs> or the same with summer. I can't wait till summer break. And then you get in the summer and you're like, oh, I can't wait till school starts again. I'm a little crazy. Or, or whatever it is, we're just not that happy or we're just not that content. And yet we come and we are greeted by this man, Paul, who's in prison. He's thanking them for their financial gift and his ministry. And any good teacher, which Paul is, he's going to take this opportunity and use it as a teachable moment. So, So let's look again at our passage this morning. He comes and he says, thank you. right? Thank you for your concern for me. But know that I don't say thank you because I need more money, right? Like, he, he says, thank you for the ways in which you've provided for me, but know that I was good before you, you sent it, right? Like, know that I was okay. Uh, I want to thank you, but I want you to know that I was okay whether you sent money or, or, or not. And, and the reality is, is this isn't some guru that's sitting back and saying, you know what, I think I could make it as a poor guy, Right? Like this is not some dude that says I think that I could I could h- hang on the streets or or I think I could I could live I- I- in poverty, but this is one that's lived in both ends of the spectrum, from privileged and educated um, to impoverished and homeless and beaten and I- in prison. Right? He's lived on both ends of the spectrum, and so he says, you know, I can be content in I- in all of this. I- I've I've lived it all, I found the secret of contentment. And so I began to to read through this, and automatically my mind goes to our idea as a culture of what contentment uh, is, and so let's define the word just so we know what we're talking about this morning, but our current definition, if you go to dictionary.com, is that contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. But that's not exactly the word that Paul uses here. Uh, the word that he uses here and I'm doing some some Pastor Stephanie weird Greek stuff this morning for you. But we have to because it just makes sense in this in this context. But this word comes from a Greek word that means self-sufficient or independent. Right? It's not about just this happiness and, and satisfaction, but he's saying that I'm self sufficient, which we'll talk about in a minute. It's not self sufficiency, but it's Jesus' dependency. But he's saying that I'm self sufficient. I'm not dependent in my circumstances, that I can live beyond those. It's not just about happiness and satisfaction, it's this different word altogether. But Paul tells us two different times, which I'm super interested in, because success leaves clues, right? People have lived before you. They've done things before you. Jesus has led them in different ways before you. And what they have can, can, can teach you what it means to trust Jesus. So two different times in this passage, he says that he's learned this, right? It's not something that's been maybe necessarily gifted to him. It's not something he picked up off the street. It's not something that he, 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 whatever he's he's learned this. He's been he's been led through this. He's he's learned this, and, and and he's learned to be content. And he's learned this secret. This is not just having a a chill disposition. He's not some surfer dude that says just hang loose, dude. Like don't don't worry about it. It'd be all right. No. He's saying, I've, I've learned to do this, which in my mind implicates that he struggled. He's gone through the grind of, uh, of what it means to live in those situations and, and to trust Jesus within them. And so he's learned something. And if he's learned something, then I can learn something too. It's learnable. It's a, it's a learnable thing that, that I can dive into. But it's also, as he tells us, it's a secret. It's not just out there on the sidewalk where you can just go and pick it up and put it in your pocket and you'll have a great life and a great day. But you have to be shaped by the the walking with the Holy Spirit. So I've had three questions and I'll ask them together with us today. Number one, what's true contentment? Where does it come from and how do we get it? There's this old pastor named Jeremiah Burroughs, a pastor in the 1600s. Right? And you think way back then, like, what's it mean to pastor in the 1600s? And what's it mean to pastor in 2019? Maybe a little bit different. But as I began to read, uh, he wrote this little book called The Rare Jewel of of Christian Contentment. Uh, But it's not that different at all. He defines Christian contentment like this. He says, Christian contentment is an inward, peaceful disposition. Christian contentment is an inward, peaceful disposition. Number one, it's inward, and that's good because it's inward. It's not rooted in our circumstance, right? Like we didn't say when you get this or when you get a million dollars or when you get whatever, then you'll be content, but it's, it's an inward thing. It, it, it's an inward peace that there could be chaos all around me. I could be in the worst place ever, but I've got some stability in my heart that goes beyond my circumstance. It's an inward peace. Maybe a better way to say this is tell you what it's not. It's not us pretending like we're at peace. It's not us pretending like we're at peace. Pastor Jeremiah, sixteen hundreds writes about how people deal with situations and stress, and it's still incredibly true today. We haven't changed very much. Sorry, friends. We just have newer phones. That's what happens, right? (laughs) Newer phones than they had, right? But he says this. He said there there's two different kinds of people that he that he notices, and the first one is this: people who cannot restrain the unrest of their spirits, but in words and behavior they reveal what woeful disturbances are within them. Their spirits are like a raging sea, casting forth nothing but mire and dirt, and are troublesome not only to themselves but to those in which they live. Like some of us are thinking, wow, like you described my coworker, right? Like you've seen that there are people that have this inner rage and that inner rage comes forth to everyone around them. See, he's noticing people and their stress and their anxiety of life. And so that's the first one. People that just express it all around them and everyone around them is, is, is troublesome. Right Then there's a second kind, and the second kind he says this, Some are able to restrain such disorders of heart, such as Judas, what he did by betraying Christ with a kiss. But even so, they boil inwardly and eat away like a canker, whatever a canker is. I'm thinking canker sore, I don't know. So David speaks of some of those who are sweeter than honey and butter, honey butter, and yet they have a war in their hearts. They're sweeter than honey and butter, and they have a war in their hearts. But God hears the fretful language of their soul. A shoe may be smooth and neat on the outside, while inside it pinches the flesh. There are some where the rage comes forth, and it's in their, in their words and in their behavior, and it's, it's, it's troublesome to everybody around them. But there are others of us where they look sweet like honey butter, right? Whatever that looks like. And everything's chill and everything's good, but the storm rages inside of them. And, and, and no one knows, but the fretful language of the soul is heard by God, right? And I think that there are times where we live in both of these places, maybe based on circumstance. That there are times where we are, we are outward and we are open and we are, we are just spreading stuff all, all day, and there are times where we are quiet and we are chipper, and when we we could suppress that inner rage and, and, and we contain it within us. But God hears the war within. Now we don't want to be people that spray our rage everywhere. And we don't want to be people that are like the chipper, like everything's chill, but everything's not. Like we don't want to do that. That's not a win. Right? So, so what's, what's the win in, in this situation? Am I, am, I, am, I, am I to be a person that's filled with rage? And how you doing? Well, let me tell you how I'm doing, right? Or do I want to be a person that this, like, everything's great? Like, how you doing? Oh, I'm awesome, right? Everything's going smooth. Hashtag blessed. No. <laughs> but everything's not smooth. Know this, that this is not about changing your outside. I don't care what you wear. It's not about changing your outside. It's not so that you look nice. And so others are like, oh, they look nice. I wonder what they have. But you've got this war within you. This is about an inward peace, an inward quiet and satisfaction that comes from Jesus and only Jesus. But take note, peaceful inward disposition does not mean that we ignore the things of life and we push aside the afflictions and the pain that we will experience. Like, I- I'm sorry, whatever, Jim Bob, that you've, you've been diagnosed with cancer. And Jim Bob says, ah, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. We'll be all right. Praise the Lord, dude. All right? No. Like like you're sorry that that you don't have to ignore or aside these afflictions or these things that that, that are a part of your everyday life. The Bible does not say to ignore all of your problems and soldier on. Paul even expresses that for us when he talks about the thorn in his flesh. I I have this thorn in my flesh. I've asked God to take it from me multiple times, but he has not. We can acknowledge that there are crosses in our lives that we must bear that there's stuff in our lives that, that, that we must bear and that we are going uh, to walk with. And, and we can talk about it too. And we can ask God to take it away. And we can ask for love and for support from our brothers and sisters that are around us. Last week, I asked you um, to pray for Pastor Stephanie as she was in Ohio um, speaking at uh, our Nazarene University, I'm there preaching uh, during uh, chapel. Um, she did an awesome job, by the way. If you want to see it online, you have probably maybe you've heard the sermon before. It's a little bit different, right? Uh, but uh, she also taught a class uh, and, and led a, a seminar thing on depression and, and, and anxiety. And then we talked about how um, sometimes Pastor Stephanie um, has this disruptive honesty, right? Where she's honest about uh, the things that she experiences and, and she's honest about w- what it means to, 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 to ask for help and what it means to, to, to ask for God's uh, leadership and, and, and God's direction in those things. And she bears her soul about the difficulty of, of what it means to live with depression and anxiety. And so I asked you to pray for her because that's a disruptive honesty. It's disruptive uh, and even example uh, from, the, from her time there that there's a, a person in senior leadership at the university that goes to the thing and afterwards like just spills all of his the, dealings with depression and, and anxiety. And he did it all alone for so many years, right? that the Holy Spirit uses Pastor Stephanie and her story and the this, and this, this story that, they, that she has to bring about disruption in people's lives where they say, yes, I, I need help, or yes, I finally feel like you've broken the silence. I can talk about this. But it's also disruptive on the other side where people have without a doubt said that she should just shut her mouth. Right? Like, seriously. Like, you should, you should just shut her mouth, and maybe, Tommy, you could censor her a little bit and, and keep her reined in, right? Good luck with that. <laughs> right? But what are we supposed to say? Like, you shouldn't talk about something that, that an estimated 300 million people on this planet Earth deals with? Really? Are we just supposed to push it to the side? I think not. There's this, this place where, where, where it's not about just, just pushing things to the side and acting like they don't exist. But, but this is this place where we are honest. And we ask for God's help. And we ask for the help of our brothers and sisters. And hear this this morning. Peace and contentment does not require ignorance. It doesn't. Nobody's asking you to ignore the pain that you've experienced or experience in life. Peace and contentment does not require ignorance. Stop it. So we, we come and we, we see that Paul models this for us, that, that, that we can know everything about a situation and about a life storm and still be at peace we can know all the ins and out of what's going on and still be content, that from a place of contentment, I can say, I'm at peace because of your grace, God, not because I like the situation. I'm at peace because of your grace and because of your strength and because you are with me, not because I want to go through this because this hurts or this is awful or, or this is hard to do. It's not. Oh, a broken leg. Thank you, God. Broken bones are the best. I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna make my underarms callous, so I can do the Olympics down the road or something cool like that. Like, thank you for breaking my leg. No, that's crazy. Don't. Peace and contentment does not require ignorance. But Christian contentment is an inward, peaceful disposition that no matter what happens around me, I am content. I am at peace. So how do we get there? If circumstances don't get me there, if new Lamborghinis don't get me there, if money won't get me there, where does it come from? Paul tells us in, in verse 12, I'm content. He tells us in, in or verse 11, I'm content. Verse 12, he says, he tells us that he's learned the secret how. And then verse 13, he tells you where it, come, where it comes from. Verse 13, I can do all this, all that he's talked about in these, in these last couple of verses, through him who gives me strength. Where does it come from? It comes entirely from another. It comes entirely from the strength of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and not ours. Not mine. Not yours. It comes from Jesus. Now, verse 13 is on a lot of t-shirts, right? Like, nothing wrong with that, but it's on a lot of t-shirts. Your marathon t-shirt, your swim meet t-shirt, your wrestling t-shirt, your football t-shirt, your your beat cancer t-shirt, every shirt, right? I can do, uh, I can do all things or all this through him who gives me me strength. Now, I love the internet. I've got one picture up there, Jaden. Um, this is why I love the internet, because it gives out jewels like this, right? right? So I can do all things to Christ which strengthens me, uh, and we've got a kid lifting a lot of weights, and Jesus is the spotter, Right? And sometimes we, we think if we, we use it that way, it's not necessarily bad to use it on your marathon shirt. We're, we're not saying this, but this is not Paul saying that Jesus is going to help you do anything, that like accomplish something. Like Jesus is not going to help a, a five-year-old lift a thousand pounds in the gym. It just isn't going to happen, Right. That's not to do anything, but, but Paul's saying in context that, that Jesus is going to help you do this thing, these things, and these things are being content in all life situations. That, that it's, it's Jesus' strength. That He's saying that I can be content. I can have this inner peaceful disposition in every situation. Why? Because of the strengthening one. Because of Jesus. Not my strength, not my self-sufficiency, but a Jesus-sufficiency. It's his strength that gets me here. Paul doesn't know what will happen to him in prison. And he's okay. Why? Because he has a radical dependency and strength that comes not from himself, but comes from Jesus. Hear this, if you hear anything today. That the one who has all the power and all the authority, and all the things that you might ever need in life, Jesus, that one, He loves you. And He absolutely cares about you. And He will empower you in the place of life that you are in right now. And when I look at Paul and I see that that when we lean into this truth, more and more we are changed from the inside out and we begin to see the world and we begin to see our circumstances differently. But some of our circumstances are pretty darn difficult and pretty unbearable at times. So I dare say that this is not something that just happens like, boom, you got it, and it happened instantly. And you're just good to go. Maybe for you it did, but not for me. For me, this deepens every day when I'm empowered to trust and embrace Jesus in the everyday grind of life. The good stuff that I'll freely step into, but also the stuff that I just don't want to do. And I don't want to experience. And I don't want to be a part of. In the good, I will praise him and remember that all good comes from God. In the bad, I will trust him. And Jesus proves himself to be faithful again and again and again. He is present. Man, all those times where I, I just ran, right? Like, think back to all the situations like you just ran from. Like, from past experiences of life, I can be pretty sneaky. That's called Survival. Right? When, when difficult things come up, I can, I can find something to, 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 to slip out of if, if, I, if I really needed to and, and if I really didn't feel comfortable in the situation. But I think back and think of, of who I might be if I would have allowed God to, to, to walk me through that hard conversation. Who might I be if I allowed God to sustain me rather than putting on the, the happy face and acting like everything was chill, but I had a war inside of me? What might it look like if I, if I lean into this to allow Jesus to, over time, to, to remind me of his presence and to remind me of his faithfulness day in and day out? But here's the secret part. That the most contented person in the world, the most content person in the world, is at the same time the most dissatisfied person in the world. You hear that? What's that? What in the world does that mean? The most content person in the world, at the same time, simultaneously, is the most dissatisfied person in the world. Because when I, when I, when I have Jesus, my Father, when, when, when I've got that Abba status where, where I can call him Daddy, then nothing else will fill that void. Right. When I when I lean in in those in those situations, when I lean into that life where where, where Jesus saves me and I'm in that place and, and, and I know the love of God and I've been confronted by that love of God. And I, if I experienced that love of God, when, when I've been introduced to that, now nothing else will do. Nothing else will do in the beginning of that anyways. But now that I have this, nothing else will do. You could you could take everything away and, and I'll be okay because I have my father. Right? Or on the other end, I could have anything and everything. It can be twenty-two Lamborghinis, yellow and red and blue and camo and whatever. And you can give me an awesome house and and, and everything that you can dream of. But without my father, it doesn't matter. I will not be content. I'm I'm content, but also I'm the most dissatisfied. Without the father, nothing else matters. But everything else, without the father, I, I will not be in a place of contentment. As the band comes and as we uh, have the opportunity to participate in the table this morning, I'm reminded of that lesson that was taught to me uh, by my own son. Dada, I need you. Dada, I want you. That Paw Patrol didn't matter, that the, 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 the show or the movie, excuse me, the movie didn't matter. What he needed was his dad. So as we uh, come today, we have the opportunity to participate in the table together. Well, we'll uh, come and, and we'll remember that, that, that God is with us. We, we remind you, you don't have to be a member here and you don't have to, to jump through any special hoops and everything's gluten-free so you won't die if you eat the bread. But we come and we, we participate together and we have this physical reminder as we, as we rise together and we go forward to receive the body and the blood of Christ, the, the everyday ordinary things, the bread and, 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 the, and the juice, the, the bread, the body of Christ broken for us, the juice, this blood that was shed for us, these ordinary things that remind us that we need God to sustain us that without the bread and without the juice, we're not going to live too long, that this is really what we need. We remember that that there are times in our life that that what we need is is the Father. We may think it's a lot of other things, and I can can try to plug that gap with a lot of other things. But I remind you as I remind myself this morning that data is what we need.